As your pastor, I know that there are some folks who face some mountains in this room. Some hills, some tests, some trials. And I love that I get to sit and watch God work in your life and work in your situation. And so give him the glory for every mountain, every hill, every trial he's brought you through. And he's bringing you through. My God, my God. Well, I joined the chorus and I say happy Father's Day to all of the fathers in the house and all of the men who've been father figures in the house. Because some of us come from situations where maybe our mother and our father have forsaken us. But the Lord took us in and he put us in the place, a family, a household where there are some fathers and mothers in the household of God. So we honor you. And I am blessed and just ecstatic this morning that my father-in-law, Dr. Alan McFarlane, is here in Nashville with us today. Can we give God glory for my father-in-law? Pastor, come on up here, Pastor. Pastor, come up here. Come on up, come on, come on up. Brother's clean this morning. Um, when I started dating Dorena and getting to know Alina and being welcomed into the family and I got to meet Pastor and Mrs. Mack, I was just so blessed because I had a wonderful dad in my life at the time before he passed and then God gave me another father and I enjoyed dating Dorena but Pastor and Mrs. Mack, they were bonuses to our relationship. And uh, this Strong Tower Bible Church is my past. It's my past. He's more than my father-in-law, Gary's father-in-law. He's my pastor and my, my friend, my homeboy, uh, the guy that I call. After I've talked to Jesus, I'll give him a call. Sometimes late in the midnight sometimes early in the morning just to hear his voice and just ask him to pray over me. This is my man, Pastor. Uh, he told folks that he was Barack Obama's brother when he came in. And <laughs> so, man, why don't you come straighten that out right now? Yeah, but I straightened it out. I said, because those guys look like they wanted to take me out. Father-in-law. Yeah, Proverbs 18, 10? Yeah. The name of the Lord is a... Strong tower. Yeah, the righteous. And... Yeah, well, listen, I'm honored to be here today. I come with the joy of the Lord because of what I have seen the Lord has done. Not only through Chris now... Dory was, I think, my most godliest of all my kids. Then she brought home a rapper. Is one now? Check, check. Yeah. And I thought, I told Doc, what happened? 
on with the rapper. Dory said that. Don't criticize him until you hear his songs. Then I discovered he had more gospel in his rap than most preachers had in their messages. I'm very honored, very grateful. My wife and I are here. We came to Nashville for a Southern Baptist Convention. I happen to be the president of the state of Virginia. Oh, yeah, yeah, the first African-American to do that. But, but that's not what I want to applaud for. Because they said Nashville. I said, yeah, I'm going there. Because I'm going to Franklin afterward because it's Father's Day Sunday. And I know I have two sons-in-laws, <laughs> but eight grandkids, two daughters. So listen, um, they're going to give me some honor. <laughs> so it's good to be in the house with you. <laughs> Love you, man. Love you. Let's give it up for my father-in-law, Dr. Alan McFarlane. Oh, wow. Now, is there anyone in the house who was able to make it out yesterday to any of the festivities in Franklin, Tennessee? Wasn't that wonderful for Juneteenth? Amen. And I know there were things going on in Nashville and in Murfreesboro, uh, Columbia. And so we thank the Lord for what we were able to do historically in Franklin. Uh, it was the first time the square had ev ever been dedicated and devoted to an African-American cause since the founding of the city in 1799. That's huge. That's huge. And our mayor, um, Ken Moore, our city uh, administrator, Eric Stuckey, they have worked so hard um, to bring justice, to, to level the scales uh, in representation in our city. A, a street was dedicated on Friday morning in Franklin to Martin Luther King Jr. and A.N.C. Williams, who is a local black businessman. Wow. And then that night we had a gala, uh, the first inaugural gala, Juneteenth gala, and it was phenomenal. And, uh, and the leader of that, he, he, he doesn't want me to say anything about him, but I have to say something about him because you gotta acknowledge your leaders and give honor. Um, but my good friend and brother, I'm gonna call him up in a minute, so get your thoughts together. Um, there, there's an organization, nonprofit, called the uh, Franklin uh, Justice and Equity Coalition, FJEC, that was founded last year after the uh, murders of Amon Aubrey, uh, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd. And so he, this man, Walter Simmons, and another pastor formed this coalition to um, fight for justice, especially in the school systems, to, be, to hold our police department accountable, um, to hold teachers accountable for the things they say and do to all of our students in the city and so many more things. And, uh, and so had it not been for this group, we wouldn't have been able to do what we did. I, I serve as an advisor to the FJEC, and some of our members are on the board, Dustin Cochter, Chris Clausey, they're on the board of the FJEC, and I'm so proud of you, but um, it takes a, a visionary, it takes a leader. So I'm gonna ask 
Walter Simmons and his lovely wife, Jessica, to join me on the platform right now. Come on, come on, come on. You'll get me later, you'll get me later. Come on, come on. Come on, y'all. Come on up here. Yes, indeed. You're going to get me. Uh-huh. She said, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all right for him to come up here? All right. Can I get another mic? Can I get another mic? I had some things I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe all right. Um, as Aubrey's working on that, uh, when Doreen and I first came to Nashville in 1992 to do gospel rap music, God had other plans. Uh, we unloaded the U-Haul truck, and then I found out I lost my record contract, and I said, Lord, why did you bring me here to the land of cowboy hats and boots? Uh, I did not understand what God was up to. Um, and next thing I know, I'm working in the city of Franklin. We were living here in Nashville, and I was working with a Presbyterian church that had a heart for the community around its uh, building, and uh, the community was largely African-American, and they hired me to come on staff as the pastoral intern of urban ministry, and so uh, I went out and I ministered to teenagers and young people, and uh, Jessica, was one of those young people that I was able to minister to many years back. And uh, other folks, that if I named their names, you would know them. Uh, Brother Cleon and uh, my goddaughter Thea, uh, Jay Meese, who's a member of Strong Tower. So many young people that I was able to serve. And, uh, and that is what led to planting Strong Tower Bible Church. So this girl is like a daughter to me. And uh, amen, she's taking care of my children. Um, she has a way that she can say things to me that no one else can say to me. And, uh, you know, and her mother is precious. Uh, so they are family. And uh, she married this preacher that I didn't know. She married this preacher. But once I got to know this preacher, he has become uh, one of my best friends. And uh, I love this brother. Love this brother. He's a dynamo for Jesus. Um, he says what he means, and he means what he says. He's the pastor of the Empowerment Community Church, and there were many people against him because if you're not from around here, then sometimes people treat you like you're not a child of God, but we don't let that stop us. We, we, we operate under the calling of God, and there were so many people who put him down, who shut doors in his face. Uh, who, who cursed him and he chose to bless them. Really, they were threatened by him. They didn't have to be uh, threatened by him because we're all on the same team if we serve Jesus. But he went on anyhow, and God allowed me to come in at a time where I could be not only a friend to him, but a covering. And Strong Tower could be a covering for their church. Many of your offerings have gone to help uh, them and their beginnings. They're, what, three, four years old, and uh, they're in Franklin making a difference. So, uh, Bishop Walter, the, the, the Bishop of Franklin, can you come up and just say a few words, man? This is the, the brainchild of the, the gathering that we had last, yesterday and on Friday night. Walter Simmons. You got a mic? You got a mic? Did they give you a mic? Oh, you got one? Okay. 
Do your thing, baby. I'm preaching, but do uh, your thing. Pastor Herbert, stand up. This, this is co-founder of FJC, Pastor Brian I didn't Herbert. I see Herbert back there. Hey, Herbert. Yeah. Hey, brother. Yeah. And you see the T-shirt he has on. We'll have some of those. Um, I can't, um, as I was sitting back and I was contemplating where we have come from just in this relationship. I love Strong Tower. This is my wife's home. And Dr. Mack, I found out something last night that you taught my former pastor's sister-in-law in seminary, um, Rita Williams Hope, Holt. And when I put the picture up of you and Mama Hope, I mean Mama, Mama McFarlane on, she went directly on with the face and said, Dr. Mack, and so this thing is running so many times through. But with this guy, um, the way that you call him, he called me so much to say, are you okay? I even had to text Doreen and say, please tell your husband to leave me alone. <laughs> you know, you're trying to get stuff accomplished, stuff is happening. This dude make, made sure that um, I didn't fall by the wayside in those phone calls in the morning. In the beginning stages, it's his fault um, that we are where we are today because he would not let me give up. When Jessica and I want to leave, um, well, Jessica didn't know I was ready to go because Franklin is kind of different. And um, he, put a, he put a dude in my life. We, we, we fuss and fight all the time. Then we have to come together and figure it out. Then he gave me some church, church folks in my life who do the same. But I'm just going to go here and I'm be done. Um, as I was sitting contemplating on a couple of things, um, he doesn't like for me to call him my pastor. David, Aaron, he doesn't like that. But he wants to call me on his stage and make me say words and then bring my wife. But he doesn't know he's my pastor. Because when I need some guidance, I call him. So I'm going to pause that right there. But my real pastor is sitting on the front row right here. Um, I'll never forget. I said, I'll do something for free. She called your boy on the phone. Didn't recognize. I said, good morning. Let me talk to you for a minute. Don't you ever go out and give your gift and talents away and sell yourself short for people to be comfortable in what they do. She said, you earned your scholarship. Don't let it and don't give it away for free. So I'll expect a check after this one before I leave on today. <laughs> Three years ago, we founded Empowerment Community Church, and there was a brother at First Missionary Baptist Church who was an advisor to the Franklin Justin Equity Coalition, and he gave me a word of encouragement. He told me, when men come to your church on this Father's Day, then you'll know when God will move. His name is Anthony Pickett. He's here with us today. You can stand up, raise your hand, but you go take this one right here, brother. Come on, Pete. First Samuel chapter 16, there's an issue with Samuel. Saul has been rejected by God, and instead of doing God's work, he's at the gate crying with sackcloth on for a person who's alive. God shows up and asks him a question. How long, not will you, but how long will you cry for Saul, seeing I've rejected him? He said, get up and get your stuff together. Get your Bible, get your anointing, get your oil, go out to Jesse's house. Jesse's a shepherd. He got some shepherd boys, and you need to go down there because I found a king in one of them. Sometimes in our life, God must remind us that all of our kings and queens don't look like what we think they should look like. 
And sometimes it's not the people of God, Dr. Mack. Sometimes it's the man and woman of God who has the issue. God should be able to come through because God even tells Sammy to tell Saul, obedience is more greater than your sacrifice. So keep your money if you're not going to be obedient. He goes down, and even on this Father's Day, Jesse gets it wrong because he only calls in seven of his eight sons. And even the prophet was about to pour the oil on the wrong king. The anointing stops him and says, this is it. He stops the ceremony and says, look, and here's nothing for tradition. The seven brothers who were before Samuel got a, their sacrificial washing, meaning that they were washed in a tradition that they were used to. But when God rejects him, the seven, he says, I have yet one more son, but he's out with the sheep. That means that when he came in, anybody know anything about sheep? Sheep do two things, have to be directed and use the bathroom. <laughs> so when you're living with sheep, you smell, you act like, sniff it, it's there. It's grass, it's dirt, it's dung. When he comes in, he looks at him, he says, he doesn't look like a king, he doesn't walk like a king. He doesn't Notice what God does. He does not get the sacrifice of washing, but he pulls the oil on him while he's dirty. He don't go clean him up first and tell him I'm going to use you. He said, come let me use you in your. Dr. Chris Williamson and Strong Tower, y'all accepted me and my. When everybody else said you're too dirty. And when they said no one can shut down the square. Not for what we's about to do. God tricked he and I and him and her and y'all. Because see, the statue was supposed to come. Come here, come here, come here, somebody. See, see, why they wanted to jump on me, they could not jump on him because he has done some work. Even though he ain't really accepted, but he's more acceptable than I was. And then they got a nomenclature that they did not expect. So we already moving, GB. Don't nobody know this. Me and him working behind the scenes. We in there getting called all everything but children of the Lord. And he's tickled. He's laughing because his word became for the last month and a half, Darina, you have to talk to Walter Simmons. You have to go to speak to Walter Simmons. Now, he's laughing, David. I'm like, oh, my Lord, here we go. But here's the thing with Franklin. He came to you in love and peace and grace and you rejected him. Then God sent you another one. And when God sent you another one, he sent you someone who was not only going to disgain your rejection, he wasn't going to take what you gave him. When we showed up to the first meeting, I had a Black Lives Matter hoodie on and I was ready. <laughs> so when the statue gets taken away, Dr. Mack, God opened up a door. <laughs> See, this is what he get for giving me the microphone. If he would just let me sit back there with my church family, I've been doing all right. And every day he called me. Come on. We got, uh, Darina, can you bring me those gifts? See, there y'all go doing the most again. Every day he called me with a smile on his face. You ever heard somebody smile through the phone? He was so, y'all know how he gets sometimes. Oh, Lord, have mercy. That, 
I wrapped it myself. You know how you do, oh, Lord. And I seen you on the train yesterday. Look, yeah. when I saw you on the train, dog, uh -huh. I was like, and then he came back with Lulu, y'all. Y'all need to do something about y'all pastor. <laughs> um, and yesterday was a culmination of my marriage. Hmm. And see her riding around doing the work that oh she God. does. And making sure that I never look like a fool when I'm out here in y'all public eye. And we're so happy to be here today. And I love you. And I love you. And I love y'all. And I need a biscuit when I leave here. <laughs> love you, oh, did you want to say something? Let's give it up, y'all, for Walter and Jessica Simmons. All right. We're turning your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 25. If you give me a few minutes, I've got a friend coming after me who's going to close this out with a song, my good friend Kirk Whalem. Let me set him up if I can. I want to set him up with this word. Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 25, and so you can stretch a little bit. Would you stand for the reading of the word of God? Leviticus chapter 25, beginning at verse 8, reading from the New King James Version, the Bible reads, And you shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, Seven times seven years and the time of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you 49 years. Then you shall cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the 10th day of the seventh month on the day of atonement. You shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all your land and you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his possession, and each of you shall return to his family. Well, with your prayers and with the help of the Holy Spirit, I'd like to preach a message today entitled, The Joy of Jubilee and Juneteenth. The joy of Jubilee and Juneteenth, you may be seated. My brother-in-law, Gary, helps people manage their finances. He helps people not only set budgets and invest, and we have others in our church who operate in the realm of finance, but they also help people get out of debt. And if I were to ask, who here was in debt versus who here is debt-free? I have a strange belief that there would be more people who would raise their hands saying that they were in debt as opposed to those who are debt-free. The goal is to be debt-free, but many of us still have bills. We have the mortgage payment. Can I get an amen? We have the car note. Can I get an amen? amen? We got medical bills. Lord have mercy, we've got school loans and bills to pay with them. 
Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, some of us have credit card debt. And some of us even uh, owe child support. We, 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 we're behind on child support. We, we're in debt. And nobody likes being in debt because when you're in debt, you're in bondage. You're a slave to whoever you owe the money to. But it's amazing that once you pay it off, you become free. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever paid a bill off before you roll that money on to the next bill so you can pay that bill and roll that money off, you know, but, but, but if you've ever paid a bill off, you feel good. Oh, you feel good. Uh, matter of fact, if somebody steps in and says to you today, hey, I love you, and uh, I want to pay your school loans off, no strings attached. Got to be somebody in your family that you know is balling, got some money, because you just can't trust somebody walking up to you saying something like that. But if somebody you knew had the resources and they said, let me pay your 50000 your 75000 off, how would you feel? <laughs> I see the hands. Uh, what would you do? <laughs> you would dance. You'd shout. You would sing hallelujah, you'd raise your hands, you would celebrate because the debt has been removed, it's been paid for, uh, it's been expunged, you are free to go. When Moses wrote Leviticus chapter 25, he was writing to let the children of Israel know that their debts were paid and that their debts could be reconciled. You see, Leviticus chapter 25 for the Hebrew people, it was their emancipation proclamation. Leviticus 25 was for the Hebrew people their 13th amendment. Leviticus 25 that Moses wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it was for the Jews their 14th amendment guaranteeing their citizenship. For them, it was their Civil Rights Act. For them, it was their Voting Rights Act. It was the thing that leveled the playing field because God wanted to make sure that there wouldn't be any big I's and little U's amongst his people. And this 50th year where debts would be released, and as we'll see here, even people released from slavery. God did this in order to make sure that everyone would be able to, Brother Will, flourish. Oh, you're not hearing me right now. I got to say it again. God intentionally empowered the powerless in Leviticus 25. He intentionally included the excluded. He brought in the people who were on the margins. He wanted to balance the power. He wanted to guarantee flourishing for all. Leviticus chapter 25. We even see two times in this chapter, in verses 14 and 17, that God had to say to his people, you shall not oppress one another. You shall not oppress one another. And if God doesn't want the Hebrews to oppress one another, he doesn't want Christians to oppress one another. Levit Leviticus chapter 25 explains what is known as the year of Jubilee, Jubilee. Jubilee comes from Genesis chapter 4, verse 21. Uh, there was a man by the name of Jubal. Jubal. So one of the ancestors of the Jews, his name was Jubal, and he was the father of the lute, 
of the flute and uh, another percussion instrument. And so, so music and celebration comes from jubil. So jubilee in the Jewish tradition spoke of celebrating and rejoicing and using music, using stringed instruments and percussion in order to praise the Lord. So the year of jubilee was a year of celebration. It was a year of getting ecstatic. It was a year of giving God glory. This happened once every 50 years. What happened once every 50 years? Hang on and I'll tell you. But when Jubilee would start, the Bible says on this 50th year, when it would start, it would start on a particular day. And that is on the Day of Atonement, also known as Yom Kippur. The Day of Atonement was when the high priest would go in behind the veil in the Holy of Holies after having offered blood for himself from the blood of a lamb in order to purge and cleanse him of his sins. He would then go in and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat on behalf of the nation. So the nation, they were cleansed collectively and even individually because of the blood of the lamb that the high priest would sprinkle on the mercy seat. So the Day of Atonement was a day of having your sins remitted. That debt, that guilt, that shame because of the blood. And we know that this foreshadowed Jesus Christ who would come and take our sins away once and for all. He didn't have to die once a year for us. He died once and for all, so we're set free. But back then, before Christ, they would go in every year. And then on the 50th year, the year of Jubilee, the priests would go in. So you talk about getting excited and getting ready to shout. Not only are you excited because your sins are forgiven, but what else is being forgiven? Well, with this year of Jubilee, Leviticus chapter 25 verse 9 says, Then you shall cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all your land. So this year, 2021, Yom Kippur falls on September 18th and 19th. And so uh, Jewish people are getting excited on the 17th, knowing what the 18th holds, and that is their sins will be remitted. And it reminds me of our people who were sitting in anticipation on December 31st, 1862, for freedom to come in on January 1st, 1863. You're waiting in anticipation. And the Jewish people, when that day came, they would blow the horn. They would blow the trumpet in Zion. They would blow the shofar. And the shofar was a ram's horn. And someone who was skilled, one of the Levites, would play this with jubilation and would play this with skill and excellence. And when the people throughout the land heard the shofar, when they heard the trumpet blast, guess what they heard? They heard good news. Because there were some people saying, if I can just get to the 50th year, I'll be all right. There was somebody saying, oh, if I can just make it to hear the trumpet blast, I'll be okay. So there was rejoicing on this day that commenced by the blowing of the shofar. Pastor, what else made this day so special, man? Well, look at verse 10. And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his possession, and each of you shall return to his family. That would be a returning that would go on on the day of atonement 
which happened on the 50th year, which is the year of Jubilee. Because sometimes people would fall under hard times and they would sell their land to their brothers or sisters, maybe even from another tribe. Or they would even sell themselves out as indentured servants or as slaves, knowing that that would not be their permanent condition, knowing that their land would not leave their family line, but it would eventually come back. That was the year of Jubilee. And so your debts would be uh, remitted and you would get your land back. You would get it returned to you. But not only that, if you were a slave, you would be released. Verse 39 of Leviticus chapter 25. And the Bible reads, let me find it. And if one of your brethren who dwells by you becomes poor and sells himself to you, you shall not compel him to serve as a slave. As a hired servant and a sojourner, he shall be with you and shall serve you until the year of Jubilee. And so if you were a hired servant, a slave, you would be set free. And not only that, uh, the land would be released to you. You would be released and get back with your family. So the year of Jubilee is about rejoicing. The year of Jubilee is about returning. The year of Jubilee is about releasing, but it's also about reminding. Look at verse 55. This is the second time this is stated in the chapter. For the children of Israel are servants to me. They are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. And so God is saying one more reason you are not to enslave others is because you used to be enslaved. You know how that feels. You know what oppression feels like. So don't you enslave and oppress your brothers. Because I am the Lord God who brought you out. And I want you to emulate me and imitate me and do not oppress. I want you to set free. And so all these things are listed in Leviticus 25. And it's no wonder that Leviticus 25 is not found in the slave Bible, which is in Washington, D.C. right now in the Museum of the Bible. They would give slaves uh, these Bibles that were parsed, these Bibles that had passages and chapters taken out of the Old Testament, taken out of the New Testament, because the slave owner was afraid that if the slave ever found out who she was, who he was, what God has for them, then that might cause a mutiny. That might cause some kind of revolt, because the white slave master has always been afraid of the black slave, or the black American having an understanding of who he is, of who she is, especially in light of God. And so today they can't take chapters out of the Bible, but they can try to tell preachers what not to preach. They can try to tell teachers what not to teach. But my master says that you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. <laughs> yeah. Because to overcome racial injustice, we must overcome historical arrogance and historical ignorance. For those who are working hard to keep us from truth, we must work that much harder to bring everyone to the truth, even if it hurts. But God is a God who wants his people free. Uh, go to Exodus chapter 15, Exodus 15. He is a God who allowed slavery for his people, 400 years, who allowed slavery for my people, but in the midst of that, that was, there was a plan of God. And God is the one, not only who allowed it, but 
He ordained our freedom, and he also expects and anticipates those who were once in who were once bound to celebrate their freedom. Exodus 15, verse 1. This is after Moses is able to speak to Pharaoh and all the miracles and the signs and the last one where the firstborn dies and Pharaoh says, please leave, get out of here. And they come out and then Pharaoh changes his mind and he, because of pressure, the oppressor doesn't like for the folks who got free to get away. They, they, they want to come back and take control over them. And so there was a Red Sea on one side and the oppressor on the other side and the children of God in the middle but God was on high and God opened up the Red Sea and the children of Israel were able to walk through as on dry ground. And then the sea closed on the Egyptians and the Israelites are on the other side of the sea. What happens? Chapter 15, verse one. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord. Because when you get free, you want to sing. You want to celebrate. So they start singing. And then the Bible says in verse 20, then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with what? Dances. You don't have to tell people who've just been liberated what to do. They're going to do it. Because something's been lifted off of them. They're going to sing. They're going to dance. They're going to shout. And there's this correlation between the Hebrew people and enslaved Africans and their descendants in this country. Because we understand what bondage and, and being enslaved for centuries is all about. And there's something that the Jews learned then that my ancestors knew and I am still learning. And that is it's something about freedom. They were free in Exodus 15 from the bondage of Egypt. They were free, but they were still in the process of becoming free. Uh, let me say it this way. Freedom is now, and it's not yet. They were free right there, but they also knew, we got to get to the promised land. Which is, and so once they got to the promised land, and even then they had to fight for their freedom. Which is why Martin Luther King could say on the night before he was assassinated, he's, he's preaching with theological imagination and he's saying like, Moses, I've been up to the mountaintop and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but we as a people will get to the promised land. And so he's talking about we're free, even though we're fighting segregation, which means we're not yet free. And it's going to always be this way. This freedom is now and it's not Yet, there's a process. We're still fighting. Yes, we're free, but then a George Floyd happens. Yes, we're free, and then a Breonna Taylor happens. And it just reminds us that we're not as free as we like to think we are. Phyllis Wheatley, who was the first enslaved African author of a published book of poetry, who lived between 1753 and 1784, she wrote these words, in every human breast, God has implanted a principle which we call love of freedom. It is impatient of oppression and pants for deliverance. And by leave of our modern Egyptians, I will assert the same principle in us. This is what the Statue of Liberty says. Give me those who are longing to breathe free. God created us not to be oppressed, but to be free. So on June 19th, 1865, after 244 years of chattel slavery in America, 
and two and a half years after the ratification of the Emancipation Proclamation, General Gordon Granger rode into Galveston, Texas with 2,000 Union troops at his disposal to proclaim and enforce the freedom of all enslaved Africans who were still working on plantations. You see, the overseers, the white supremacists, the plantation owners, they knew that the South had lost the war. They knew what happened in Appomattox in April of that year. But they didn't tell their slaves. They, they didn't let them go. They continued to oppress them because they knew if the slaves knew what they knew, then the slaves would change what they were doing. So they kept that knowledge from them. But that oppression traveled back up uh, north. And the army said, we got to send one of our best generals to go there and proclaim and ensure that what the Emancipation Proclamation was put into place to do for slaves who were in the southern territories, that they need to be freed. Yes. So he went there with 2,000 troops and, and he read publicly General Order Number 3. He went around town to different stations, but he ended up at the Negro or the Colored Church on Broadway, which is now called Reedy Tabernacle. Because he knew there'd be some black folks at church. And he had to let them know at church that they were free. But here's what a lot of folks don't know. The history books don't always talk about the United States colored troop soldiers who accompanied General Granger into Galveston, Texas because they want to make it to seem like it was white folk and white folk alone who set black folk free. No, no one. God set us free and he uses different vessels to do that and God is not afraid to mix it up. And so in that number of 2,000 soldiers, there were some brothers in that army. So can you imagine having been born in slavery and your, your, your parents and grandparents born in slavery? And then all of a sudden, you see these troops dressed in blue coming into your community. You're picking cotton. You're shucking corn. You're dealing with peas. You're working with the cows and the horses. You're just working. Then all of a sudden, you, you, you see this group coming. And not only this group, but then you see some people that look like you dressed in Union Army uniform. And they weren't carrying ladles like with the Confederate Army, they were carrying shotguns, rifles with them. So you see what you've never seen before. Then you hear what you've never heard before, and that is you are free today. You don't have to tell them to celebrate. You don't have to tell them to shout. You don't have to tell them to dance, which is why every year since then, there's been this thing called Jubilee Day, Freedom Day, Juneteenth. Where in the black community, we celebrate our emancipation. But what if there was one or two black folks on the plantation who say, you know what, man, I don't know, I don't know. I think I'd rather stay here on the plantation. I don't want to walk in my freedom because, man, that, that, that's just a little bit too much. And, and I'm just here to let you know that that mindset hasn't left many of our black folk today. They'd rather stay on the plantation. 
Uh, I digress. I, I ain't going to chase that. I won't chase that. But on Thursday, June 17th, 2021, President Biden signed and made Juneteenth a federal holiday, a federal holiday. And another miracle happened. The entire Senate agreed on this. That usually doesn't happen. But there are about 14 people in the House of Representatives who did not agree with this. And I just have to say, now, why? And they were all Republican. Why? What's your problem? Why can't you agree with this? Are you here to serve the constituents, the people in your district, or are you serving another agenda? But it passed anyhow, and we're grateful for that. But I have to also say this, that as black folks, we, we, we don't just want a Juneteenth holiday. That's cool. We want a day of justice. We, we want them to pass that anti-lynching bill. We want them to pass that George Floyd police reform bill. We want them to pass that Breonna Taylor bill. Okay, giving us a holiday, cool, okay, okay. Uh, but we want some substance and not just symbols as black folks. Uh, because sometimes you give us that symbol and you think we forget about the stuff that's killing us. And we got to say, okay, we'll take Juneteenth, but we want a whole lot more. Recognition is cool, but we want some repair. Freedom is now, and it's not yet. Freedom is on its way. So as I conclude this message, two weeks ago, my brother-in-law, John, Bruce, in Baltimore, Maryland, his 104-year-old grandmother passed away. Her name was Anna Naomi Davis. She lived to be 104 and so my family left Baltimore and went into Darlington, South Carolina, where she lived in order to have her home going. Darlington, South Carolina. Well, while my family was there, they realized that not only uh, is my brother-in-law's family from Darlington, but my family, the Williamson family, has ties to Darlington, South Carolina. So let me tell you a little bit about myself. Um, we had a lovely couple in our church, Robert and Debbie Hall, who paid for Darina and I to get a DNA test so that we could figure out what part of Africa our descendants come from. So Darina and I did everything we needed to do for that, sent it off. It came back to us in about six weeks. And through saliva and through other things they asked of us, uh, I learned that my ancestors come from Nigeria. They come from Nigeria. And when we think about the Middle Passage when 11 to 12 million Africans were brought against their will across the Atlantic into the colonies, uh, uh, Charleston, South Carolina was one of the main ports of entry where those who didn't jump off ship or take ships over, those who made the ride, they came and docked in Charleston, South Carolina. And I remember going to Charleston not long ago uh, and you talked about Auction Street. And how there was a street dedicated to auctioning enslaved Africans. 
And so from Charleston, my family, which came from Nigeria, then migrated into Darlington, South Carolina. And the way that I know that is we began to research and look up records. And, and, and you see, uh, uh, there's this place in Darlington called the Oakland Plantation. The Oakland Plantation sits inside of Williamson Park. And so the Williamsons owned the plantation and they had a park named after them, Williamson Park. And so my family began to research where we come from. And uh, during that trip into Darlington, my sister and my two nieces, they went to that plantation where they could see the markers and the signs speaking of Williamson. And they stood outside the gate looking at the big house, the big white house where the master lived. And a few house Negroes lived in that mat, uh, house and warmed the beds and cooked the foods. But others, the majority, lived in shacks around that plantation. And they would work the acreage there from sun up to sundown, from can't see to can't see. And my nieces and my sister peered over that iron gate and they began to envision their ancestors that they come from this place. And it was sobering for them. It was humbling for them. It was tough for them. But they also rejoiced because like Maya Angelou said, I am the dream and the hope of the slave. So as they were working on those fields, they were singing and they were praying. And they were asking God for a better day. And my ancestors were able to look over the gate, through the gate, and see where their ancestors worked that field and had no human rights, dignity, and value whatsoever. You see, Jesus, he came through 42 generations. I can only go back five. You see, there's my father, Harold Williamson Sr., then there's his father, Hezekiah Williamson Sr. Then there's Billy Williamson. And then there's Bright Williamson. And then there's Happy Williamson. That's as far back as my family can go on my father's side. What we know is that Harold, my daddy, was black. That my grandfather, Hezekiah, was black. And that his father, William, or Billy, was black. But Bright and Happy were not. They were white men. Because every black person in this country, unless you just came straight over here from the Congo or something, you, you, you got some white folk in you. I can only go back five. So the things that happened on the plantation in Darlington affects my family to this day because freedom is now and it's not yet. But as I close and as Kirk comes this is why I'm waiting, y'all. I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Help me, Holy Ghost. This is why I'm waiting for another trumpet blast. You see, the Jews waited for this to play every 50th year on Yom Kippur, the day sins were remitted and, and you got your land back and you were set free. A relative could come and redeem your property. Everyone would rejoice. The scales would be balanced. The people in power would not have all of the power. The poor would be empowered intentionally. God set all of that up. But there would be a blowing of a horn in order to emancipate, begin that day. You see, when the United States Colored Troop soldiers would march, they would sing. 
they would sing what is called a Negro spiritual. And their white officers who were over them would hear them sing and then they would write about it and this is how we know this history. So they would listen to them sing songs. And one of the songs that the soldiers would sing, even as they marched to battle, they would sing a song, Ride On, King Jesus. No man cannot hinder me. Ride on, King Jesus, ride on. No man cannot hinder me. You see, as they were trying to keep knowledge away from my people, my people still were able to get the secret knowledge of God. They were able to learn about God, and they knew that God had a son named Jesus who suffered for something that he did not do. <laughs> that, that God had a son named Jesus who was also a slave. That God had a son named Jesus who could identify with the poor, the broken, the last, the lost, the least. And he made them first. And so the slave gravitated towards Jesus and they knew about Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And they would celebrate, ride on, King Jesus. And since nobody can hinder you, nobody can hinder me. But they not only knew about the triumphal entry into Jerusalem in Matthew 21, they also knew about the triumphal return of Jesus in Revelation chapter 19, when Jesus would come back to the earth on a white horse. So therefore, again, they're marching right on King Jesus. No man cannot hinder me because can't nobody hinder you. Can't nobody hinder me. Right on. And then they go on and say, in that great getting up morning, fare you well, fare you well. See, we would pass this down from generation to generation. And this is why church was and is so important for our people. But I said I'm waiting for another trumpet blast. Because uh, freedom is now and not yet. But there's coming a day when freedom will be perfectly and fully and completely fulfilled when Jesus returns. And the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Bible says, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a what? A shout. And with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And then the Bible goes on to say, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Oh, oh Lord, help, help me, Lord. When Jesus comes, the shofar is going to blow. And when this one blows from heaven, because up above my head, I hear freedom in the air. When this thing blows from heaven, freedom is here. Because the one who sets us free is here in the flesh. He has come back. He has returned. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Who's the dead? Because we know when people die, their spirit goes to be with the Lord, but their body, their ashes go into the ground. But God says, I'm going to give you a, a temporary body in heaven until I raise up your ashes on the day in the future. So when folk die, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. So my ancestors, as Jonathan said, they knew Jesus. And they didn't just meet Jesus in America. They knew Jesus in Africa because Jesus reached Africa before the show. Uh, slave ships reached America. They knew about Jesus in Africa. They had a relationship with God. And so therefore, when they died, their spirits went to be with God, but their ashes were in the Atlantic. Their ashes were on plantations. And that's coming a day when the trumpet is going to sound. Those ashes are going to come up and meet those spirits together. And the Bible says that they going to rise first. Why they got to go first? Because they were last down here. And one day the last are going to be first. 
And then the Bible says, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. So if we can't get together down here, why you think we going to get together up there? What Jesus should serve. Oh, I'm so glad he loves the slave. I'm so glad the trumpet will sound. But as we close this service, I got somebody. He's he not going to play a trumpet, but he's going to play a saxophone. He's a Grammy Award winner. He, Dove Award, Stella Award. But above all, he's working for his reward in heaven. Kirk, come on, do what you do.